Hey. I was going to say, hey, guys, but I remembered I would get a letter from someone saying that guys are men and not girls, so. <laughs> Romans chapter 8. Um, we said last week it is the greatest chapter in the greatest letter, in the greatest book in the whole world. And we're looking this morning at verses 3 to 4. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 to 4. It's fantastic to hear from our missionaries uh, a little earlier in the service. For those of us who grew up in church, we will be familiar with the idea of missionaries and what they are and why they're there. Obviously, this is uh, a big part of what it means to be at College Church. We believe in missionaries. Uh, that won't be the case for all of us here this morning. For some of us, a missionary seems a slightly strange thing. Is this some hangover from post-colonial past? Uh, why, why do we send people to France? Uh, don't they speak French in France? You know, what, Why are we doing that? Well, this is, we'll see this from Romans chapter 8, this is an overflow of what we believe. We believe as Christians, that we have something so special. It's such a pearl of great price uh, that we give up everything to take this message to as many people as possible. And as I say, Romans chapter 8, the greatest chapter in the greatest letter in the greatest book in the whole world, uh, expresses that pearl it lets it sparkle uh, in front of our eyes. Now, as you look down with me at the text, you'll find it in your Bibles or right there in this folder that you received as you were coming in, you'll see that the couple of verses we're looking at. You'll notice that there is a metaphor that Paul now introduces. And this metaphor is a metaphor of walking. And walking seems the most uh, natural thing to do. It's an easy thing to do. Look, I'm doing it. One foot in front of the other. And yet, uh, for any of us who've had children, we'll know that learning to walk is not as easy as it may seem. My children have made me promise that I will not tell stories about them without a lot of warning. And so this is not a story about any uh, particular child of mine, but just about the children. And I remember how they find a chair and they kind of, those of us who are parents will know this, they sort of pull themselves up on the chair and there's a look in their eye where they look at us and they kind of, am I going to take a step? And you go on. And they take a step and then they fall down and they pull themselves up and they try again. And once they're off and walking, chaos. <laughs> Nothing is safe anymore <laughs> in, in the home. And walking seems a natural thing, but it's something that you have to learn. It is also something that sometimes you have to relearn. If you go online on YouTube and put in marine learning to walk again, you'll see a YouTube clip of some young man trying to learn to walk, relearn to walk. 
Now, in the Christian life, walking is a metaphor of our relationship to God. It's used that way often in the Old Testament. And so Paul picks up on that theme here as he introduces walking, our relationship to God, our lifestyle. And I think in the background to Paul's use of the word walk here and elsewhere is this image that would have been predominant in the minds of the early Christians of Jesus, who of course was a traveling preacher, walking with his disciples. The walk of the Christ and the walk of the Christ followers. And you come across someone who's very mature in their Christian faith, a John Stott or a Billy Graham or some great Christian leader, and their walk seems so easy, so natural from a distance. I remember listening to one John Stott sermon where he said that if he had his life again, he would live it all for Christ. And then he stopped and said, no, that's not true. If I had a thousand lives, I'd live them all for Christ. And so to learn to walk following Jesus for the first time, to relearn to walk, to walk in a way of great maturity and godliness, living all your life for Christ and in such an experience and with such a flavor of excellence and joy that if you had a thousand lives, you'd live them all for Christ. To walk like this may seem like it's a natural thing, but really it is supernatural. The walk of the Spirit now, I've been thinking quite a lot about this over the summer and the last few months. I, at the end of last year, got to the point where I was so tired. I was talking to Rochelle a lot about this at the time. I was so tired and drained, depleted, that each day I had to kind of force myself, you can do it. And then, you know, recharge the batteries over the summer and thought about a lot of things about what it means to walk to relearn to walk. And I want to share some of them with you this morning from God's word. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 to 4. You'll notice that there is a purpose in this. Beginning of verse 4. In order that God has a purpose that we might walk. Let me read it uh, for us. Verse 3. For God has done what the law Weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Here is how I am constructing this message. The past and the path. The past and the path. Verse 3 is very much about the past. How is it that we can leave the past behind in our walk? To walk somewhere means not being stuck 
anymore. It's no longer being still. It is no longer being stagnant. It is no longer being static. It is starting to walk and leaving the past behind. How is that possible? And Paul here has a certain worldview about God, a certain picture about God and us and Jesus that he is urging his hearers to have in their mind. You know, the way we think, the way we see, the way we imagine God is of great significance to whether we are going to walk by the Spirit. John Calvin said that our minds are idol factories. That is, we're constantly conjuring up pictures of who God is, and we need that picture to be a correct picture. Paul here has three aspects or elements of this right view of God that help us to move on from the past. They are a big picture of God, a real view of self, and a complete perspective of Jesus big picture of God. He says, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. God has done it. It is God's initiative. It is God's work. Huge view of who God is pervades scripture and here is introduced, God has done it. Let me put it like this. However big you think God is, he is by definition infinitely bigger. However big you think God is, he is by definition infinitely bigger. He is the eternal, omnipresent, omniscient, He is infinitely bigger than you can imagine or comprehend. Of course, this is the key not only to learning to walk with Christian maturity, but to following Jesus for the first time at all. So many people reject God because they have a view of God that is not credible and is not really a biblical view of God. J.G. Voss said this, An atheist is a man who thinks he can contain God in his own mind. Once you think like that, God seems so petty, some little Middle Eastern pagan deity. He's not credible for a modern man or a modern woman. But this view of God, God has done it. He is by definition infinitely bigger than you can possibly Conceive a big view of God, a real view of self. Paul says, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The flesh, that is our sinful human nature, we could not do it. This could, could not do it. This is a, a real and a realistic view of the self. Um, some of you know that I used to play rugby. And for those of you who didn't know that, you'll be thinking, well, that explains a lot. (laughs) 
I had a final match when I'd been playing. I was about 21. This is the last game I ever played. I got a little bit injured. I never played since. I injured my back. I still go to therapy for it. Isn't that sad? Oh. And in this last game that I was playing, I was asked to play because they, I thought I was quite good. I hadn't played all that year. I hadn't been training all that year. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll be fine. I'm strong enough. I'm good enough. I'll play in this game. And there was a moment when I was tackled by someone and my back kind of went out of joint. And then I thought, I'm strong enough. I can do it. I'll keep playing. And so my opposite man came around the corner and I tackled him and I, my leg my leg's power kind of gone, and I got hit on the head, and I was concussed, which for those of you who are just getting to know me will also say, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> and of course, they took all the normal precautions. I went to hospital, and everything was fine. <laughs> and my friends, I was living in an apartment, my friends, you know, with friends like these, who needs enemies? My friends decided that it would be amusing once they'd heard that I got concussed to kind of throw a spanner in the, uh, in the works. And so what they did was they very carefully and precisely rearranged my room to be the mirror image of what it had been. Now, Paul here is not talking about physical strength. But it's very easy, isn't it, for us to think that we are strong when we're not. And for you to move on with God, you need this morning, my dear brother, my dear sister, my dear friend, to allow a realistic view of yourself. that You cannot do what God demands by his law. Let me put it like this. Doing religion without a real view of self is like doing medicine without a proper diagnosis. Lots of activity, no healing. Big picture of God, a real view of self. Both of those are necessary to moving on from the past, but Paul has a final one here in this verse, which is a complete perspective of Jesus. So he carries on. And says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Now, there are different views on this sentence that uh, people have and scholars discuss. I'm just going to present to you my view, which is as following. God sent his own son, that is Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh, that is Jesus, fully God, and fully human. His own son, fully God, in the likeness of sinful flesh, fully human. Paul here uses risky language to impress upon his hearers that he really was in human flesh, which for us 
is of course in our case, not in Jesus's, but in our case is sinful. Fully God and fully human and for sin. Paul's picking up on phrases from the Old Testament about sacrifice. And so now he's not thinking about his incarnation, fully God and fully human. He's thinking about his crucifixion, Jesus' death on the cross that was for sin, to deal with sin, a sacrifice for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Here's this complete perspective of Jesus. You see, the cross is not just an expression of God's love. It is not just an expression of God's mercy. The cross is the place where God condemns sin. And so Paul said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How? Because God condemns sin at the cross. That is the cross is also an expression of God's justice. You say, well, how does that help me move on from the past? I was... uh, looking into some stories of how people use the past to become successful in their own lives. Perhaps they had failed. You know, Home Depot was founded by two men who were fired from another home improvement store. And then they founded Home Depot, which now has over 2,000 locations and over 370,000 employees. A remarkable story. I looked into uh, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, famously, when he gave his acceptance speech, when he was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame, in the Sports Hall of Fame, he said that well, all these people who didn't believe in him, and he sort of listed them to, I've proved them wrong. Our past. As Christians, as those who are walking by the Spirit, we need to do better than just proving someone wrong. See, here's what happens. There's a sin that you have committed or has been committed against you, and around that comes a hurt. And if that is not dealt with, out of that comes a habit to medicate that hurt. And if that is not dealt with, out of that comes a hang-up. You're stuck. I um, heard that Jerry Springer was interviewed. Of course, Jerry Springer of the Jerry Springer Show, which I have never watched, by the way. But Jerry Springer, his father was a Jewish man. He was a Jewish family They escaped World War II persecution. The end of Jerry Springer's father's life, towards the end, uh, he could not drive anymore and the family was trying to figure out how to communicate this to Jerry Springer's dad and it was Jerry Springer's job to communicate this to his father. So he sat down with him and said, Dad, you know, isn't it time that you stop driving? And his dad said, well, Jerry, not quite yet. You never know when you're going to need to make a getaway. I don't know what your hurt is. I don't know what the sin is that you've done or the sin that's been done to you, but I know you have hurt 
And so how can I deal with this? How can I move on? You've got to get a big picture of God. God is sovereign even over that. And is able, as Paul will say later, to weave it together so that all things work together for the good of those who love him. He's sovereign even over that. You cannot fix it yourself. Where do I go to fix it? You go to the cross, the place where every sin is condemned and we can receive forgiveness if we believe. And so will you do that? Will you this morning receive from God himself forgiveness and power to move on? Leave the past behind. But then there's a path that we need to stay on ahead. And this is verse 4. Paul carries on. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Here there are three elements that help us stay on the path. They are security, stability, and empowerment. Security. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now again, there are different views on this sentence, and I'm just going to present you mine. What Paul is saying here is because those of us who believe are in Christ and because Christ has fulfilled the law, therefore, in that sense, because we're in Christ, the law is fulfilled in us. And so, of course, as we're on this path that we're walking along, we can receive forgiveness We are secure. God has this purpose in order that for God's people, the law might be fulfilled in us because we're in Christ and he perfectly fulfilled the law. Security, stability, those who walk not according to the flesh. Now Paul uses the word flesh in two ways different ways. He uses the word flesh to indicate those who are fleshy in their self-righteousness. That is the the Pharisees who are proud of their circumcision and therefore were part of the elites. So on the one side of this path is self-righteousness. On the other side is self-destruction. Flesh in that sense. And we need to avoid either one. How do you avoid self-righteousness? There was a man who was standing on a bridge looking like he was about to jump off. Another man came up to him and said, don't do that. The man said, well, why shouldn't I do that? He said, well, are you a Christian or an atheist? And the man said, I'm a Christian. He said, me too. He said, are you an evangelical Christian or a liberal Christian? He said, I'm an evangelical Christian. He said, well, me too. He said, are you a reformed uh, evangelical Christian or an Arminian evangelical Christian? The guy said, well, I'm a reformed evangelical Christian. He said, well, me too. He said, are you a credo Baptist, reformed evangelical Christian or a 
pedo baptist reformed evangelical Christian. The man said, I'm a credo baptist reformed evangelical Christian. He said, me too. The man said, are you a supralapsarian credo baptist reformed evangelical Christian or an infralapsarian reformed evangelical Christian? The man said, I'm an infralapsarian credo baptist reformed evangelical Christian. He said, die heretic scum. And pushed him off the bridge. <laughs> Self righteousness. Self destruction. Um, some of you will know that when I was doing um, some study at Cambridge, uh, D.A. Carson, who's known to many of us in the Christian world, was a help to me. And in one particular moment, I had a mentor figure who fell off the walk on the self-destruction side. And I went to Don Carson and asked him for some counsel about this and a couple of times. And he told me a story about his own father. His own father had been a Canadian pastor, a Canadian missionary doing church planting in the French-speaking part of Canada. And when Don Carson was at seminary, he heard a story about his dad from the lecturer while Carson was sitting in the class. And the story was that uh, his dad had had his own boss in the mission organization cut off the money to his father. And the story is about how Carson's father was faithful in that situation. First time Carson had heard of this. So he went home to his dad and said, well, Dad, why, wouldn't, why didn't you tell me? And his dad said, my, my son, your mother and I made a vow that we would never speak ill of that man. And by God's grace, we kept that vow. He was trying to protect his son from disappointment with church. Perhaps the hurt you feel is related to church. And here you are being asked to walk by the Spirit. And all it says to your mind is religion and church. And there's a hurt inside. And you're saying to yourself, how can I keep out of this ditch on one side of the road or the other ditch on the other side? And so Paul concludes by saying it is a walk by the Spirit. Gordon Fee describes the work of the Spirit as God's empowering presence. You say, well, how do I receive that empowering presence? The Puritans talked about the means of grace. So you come to church, you hear Bible preaching, you join a church, you're baptized. These are not just functional activities. They are means of grace by which you can receive God's empowering presence. You leave the past behind. You walk forward on the path. Uh, when I was growing up, we used to, as a family, go on a lot of walks, a lot of hikes. This was not my most favorite activity. I was the youngest of three, and they all had longer legs than me, and I always felt like I was running to keep up. Plus, I was a, quite a big child, you know, um, 
Big boned, as they say. Hence the rugby. And um, so that was my experience. But then as I got older, I started to like it, you know, more. There's a part of the country in England which is called the Lake District. And it has a lot of lakes, but it also has mountains, peaks. And one mountain peak is connected to another mountain peak by a path. It's quite a narrow path. And on either side there is a valley, a steep cascading edge going all the way down. And this path, about as wide as this pulpit, perhaps a little more, is called striding edge. For you can stride from one side to the other. Imagine what it's like walking across that when the wind is up. On the one side is self-righteousness. <laughs> On the other side is self-destruction. And how do you keep going? You keep going <laughs> by God's empowering spirit. You say, what, is, what does that mean? How do I, okay, the means of grace, how do I, how do I, Move on from the past. Or perhaps it's time for some of us here to utter the most difficult word in the human language. Help. There'll be people down the front afterwards for conversation and prayer. Perhaps it's time for some of us to knock on the door of a counselor, a Christian counselor, and say, Help. And so. Leave the past behind with a big picture of God, a real view of self, a complete perspective of Jesus, and walk along the path with security fulfilled in us. Stability, not according to the flesh, on either side of the pathway, by God's empowering presence. You see, we as a church have this vision that through us, the law fulfilled in us, through us, God would change the world. And for that to take place, each of us needs to change. It's a personal responsibility. Get the help you need and walk by the Spirit. Let's pray together. Our Lord, I pray that you would help us as a congregation to be the kind of people who will say, if I had 
my life to live again, I will live it all for Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us as individuals to not walk by the flesh, but to walk by the Spirit. And with a real view of ourselves, a complete picture of what you have done on the cross, to reach out for help when we need it, and so to receive your empowering presence. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.